All right, we're back with the Buffalo Bread Podcast, looking at week 12, back in Detroit, the Detroit 2 Electric Boogaloo. Um, Dan, how are we doing? It seems that Western New York, for the most part, has escaped um, a a snowpocalypse-like scenario where people are killing each other in the streets, um, and that the Buffalo Bills are, you know, flying back out to, um, to Detroit tomorrow. We are recording on Tuesday. Uh, and they're going to face the Lions on Thanksgiving Day. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. Um, that clickety-clack you're hearing in the background is not, in fact, Santa's reindeer arriving before Thanksgiving. That would be my daughter, who has invaded the Buffalo Bread studio here on my neck of the woods as we uh, we record this yes. podcast. We are uh, coming up on Thanksgiving. My wonderful daughter is on Thanksgiving break, and she has promised Daddy that she is going to be as quiet as possible while he records this very important thing he does for his 32 active listeners across the world. <laughs> so yes. She's good, and I'm feeling good about the Bills heading back to Detroit. Um, they got back to their winning ways. The snow here is, it, for us, we got under a foot, and we're we're a, a, a bit more north than Buffalo is, and it's a, it's a balmy 43 degrees today, and much of the snow nice. that we got is melting. So I think a lot of upstate is going through a much-needed thaw here before Thanksgiving, um, and we'll see what the rest of winter has in store for us. But uh, JJ, I'm very excited to talk about what the Bills have in store for us this Thanksgiving against the Lions. Before we get to that, though, we got to talk about the game against the Browns. The Browns game to me, and listen, I'm the stats guy, you're the film guy. To me, though, this game was a game of vibes. There was the first half vibe, which was an icky vibe. And then there was the second half vibe, which is, okay, this is a much better, this is much better energy for me. And that's kind of how I watched this game. Um, and I think it's given me some peace going into the Detroit game and some clarity on what the Buffalo Bills plan is as they head into their final six games of the season post-Thanksgiving, four of whom are against division opponents. So, JJ, what were the vibes and the things that you saw in that Browns game that uh, left you to think that maybe the Bills are in good shape heading into the, the final stretch run here? Well, I think a lot of people had the same reaction I had, which was in the first the first half up to the point where Matt Milano recovered the dropped uh, exchange uh, snap exchange for, between the center and Jacoby Brissett, and the Bills got the ball back. Up to that point in time, the only positive I was feeling was um, Naeem Hines had uh, you know good returns. The Bills' offense was sputtering. It was late in the second quarter before they even got a first their first first down. Um, at one point, the Browns had 10 first downs to zero for the Bills. And so I think everybody was having the same panic as, as I was of being like, oh my gosh, like the vibe is that the this juggernaut offense that they came into the season with has disappeared completely. Um, and, you know, we know the outcome now. The Buffalo Bills end up winning at 31 to 23, and it was far, you know, far more of a, a wide victory than that score would indicate. Um, as they led most of all of the second half to the win. Um, but the vibe was really just like, I think everyone was worried, but the lesson I took from that is that practice in the NFL is far more critical and crucial than people really chalk it up to be. Um, I think the NFL fans of any team are often like, ah, you know, this player missed all the, all of the practices this week, but if they're healthy, they should go. Well, I think what we saw was the Buffalo Bills practiced on Tuesday um, they had a practice on Wednesday and then pushed together like a, a, like a second practice on Wednesday afternoon when they saw that the snow was coming. 
Um, I, I think that's right. Maybe it was, yeah, it was Tuesday and Wednesday. And then they didn't practice Thursday or Friday um, leading up to the game because they were, or Saturday, um, they did a virtual walkthrough on Friday just because the snow had crushed everything in western new york and around buffalo the players couldn't get anywhere it was a question whether or not they were going to get out to the state or to the uh um, airport so they could fly out to detroit the game was moved it was upheaval and in that upheaval i think that they lost some critical time to to brush up and refine their offensive approach um and that's what we saw in the first half was it literally took them almost a half of football to get right and and that you know double dip at the end of the first half in, in the scoring drives to end and start the, the second half, that was, yeah, that was absolutely essential for them to end up, you know, on the positive and, and scoring and winning this game. Um, you know, they ended up scoring 10, 10 points in the second quarter, and that really carried them because uh, until the, the fourth quarter when the Cleveland Browns scored 13, I mean, it was 31 to 10, and the Bills looked like they were just going to roll. And that, so I think, um, yeah, so first vibe. Practice is essential, critical. Second vibe is starters on defense is essential and critical. I think you saw um, Ed Oliver, Jordan Poyer, uh, Matt Milano make a lot of incredible plays in that game that would not have been made if they weren't on the field. And so to this point in time, after 10 games, the Buffalo Bills have played two games with their preferred starters. Um, And that's not counting Tredavious White or Micah Hyde in that, you know, in that notion, because those are IR, you know, players on IR, that's literally those that we knew were, would be available. They've had two games where all of them are up. And, you know, I texted this to you before the game. I, you know, it was a Bills injury report, and I circled uh, Kair Elam, Tredavious White, uh, Tremaine Edmonds, and Greg Rousseau. And I said, if these four players are healthy, until these four players are all healthy, all on the field with everyone that's going to be on the field today, we won't know what this full defense is capable of. And I, I stand by that. I think that we're going to see a completely different approach once all of those four players are back. I those agree. are my vibes. How about you? I, I agree. I, you know, in, in doing this podcast with you for the past three years and living so week to week on each of the Buffalo Bills results, it, I've really had to learn, and I've done a bad job learning this lesson, but I've really had to learn how to take things as signal as opposed to noise. And every week, because we live in the urgency of the moment, everything feels like signal, when in reality, it's a lot of noise. I saw a lot of folks on Buffalo Buffalo fan Twitter roasting the Buffalo Bills defense because it gave rightfully gave up 300-plus passing yards and three TDs to Jacoby freaking Bursette, who you and I said should be fined in this game every time he doesn't give the ball to yes. Nick Chubb. Well, you know, but... When you look at the lineup, as you said, that they were rolling out there, it was very clear that Kevin Stefanski and this and this Browns coaching staff wanted to take advantage of, you know, a, a unit that has been good in coverage, but bad at ball skills. I was watching this podcast with a buddy of mine, and uh, he brought his wife over and his kid. And it was a perfectly fun time, except when I would scream and scare, scare the children who were playing quietly with toys in front of the TV. But one of the things I turned to him and said, it must have been like the the fifth time that um, that Amari Cooper had burned Dane Jackson, where Jackson is on him. And all Jackson has to do is turn his head, watch Cooper's eyes, turn his head to make a play on the ball, and he doesn't, right? These are the types of things that Kyer Elam is really good at, 
who we were obviously missing that game, but also that Trey White is really good at. So it's not that this Buffalo Bills secondary, the backups, it's not that they can't cover. It's that their ball skills just aren't where they need to be in facing a lot of the passing attacks that the Buffalo Bills are going to face. Like if Dane Jackson just turns his head on two of those plays, he's probably got two picks in this game, but he doesn't, right? So so that's the, the con of not having our starters on the pro is that going back to last season, Dane Jackson has gotten some premier experience on the outside. He's learned a lot. He's developed a lot. Christian Benford has developed and learned a lot playing a lot of outside corner this year as well. And that is ultimately going to benefit them greatly, greatly when they get their starting unit back Um, because they're going to take that experience that they'll have hopefully grown from, add it to the higher level skill set that White and Elam will bring back to the table, include a healthy or somewhat healthy Jordan Poyer, Tremaine Edmonds being a pterodactyl in the middle of the field again, and, and I'm feeling pretty positive about where the Bills' defense is going to be. So, yes, Jacoby Brissett shredded them this week. Jared Goff may shred them again <laughs> in this yeah. game on Thanksgiving Day. But I think moving forward, if, if, come December 1 for the division stretch here, we've got our, our as-healthy-as-can-be defensive starting lineup, I think the Bills are going to be in pretty good shape. They're still a top-four unit in defensive DVOA, and like you said, they, they've run a mash unit out there, right? Guys playing with injuries, guys out because of injuries. So I, I, I think I feel good about what the Buffalo Bills defense is going to bring for the home stretch as long as everybody comes back healthy. The Buffalo Bills offense, I agree with you. The practice for sure mattered. What did you think about the Bills finally getting the run game going? Context here, the Browns are the 31st worst run defense in the league. Only the Houston Texans are worse at defending the run. So we knew that there were going to be some opportunities, particularly on the interior, for the Bills to exploit. But what did you think... What did you think about the scheme? What did you what did you see up front, JJ, from the offensive line? Are there things here that the Bills can build on in the run game moving forward? Um, I do. I think that what I saw was that they tended to do a little bit more gap, and we talked about it in the preview. Counters at the center of the Browns' defensive line have been effective all season, and they definitely noticed that on tape. And they had a lot of counters and cutback lanes built into their blocking schemes. And that's when you saw James Cook taking advantage of some of those cutback lanes. And that's, I think, where he excels. And I think it's a really good sign going forward that the Buffalo Bills are playing different schemes and blocking and rushing towards James Cook. James Cook's strength because he is the more explosive of the two of him and Devin Singletary. I said before and when we did the preview pod that um, Devin Singletary, when you hand off the ball, is you know negative 21 in terms of you know, um, his EPA, uh, and that's, that's bad. Um, I don't know what James Cook is, but I presume he's a little bit better, um, because if he's untouched, he tends to make something happen in the tune of five plus yards. And that, that was really special. Um, I like that they depended on him on like a third and two to just get the corner and get the first down. I think that that's, we talked about that a little bit, even though the defensive ends for the Browns were a strong suit, having the Bills try to test the edges, um, with the exception of Naeem, Naeem Hines getting blown up when they asked Gabe Davis to block Jadavian Clowney one-on-one, which is never a good solution. Um, that was a penalty, too. He tackled Naeem Hines by the ear hole of his helmet. But 
that's not neither here nor there. There were the refs were terrible in this game, but I, you know, coming back to it, I think that the Buffalo Bills rushing attack showed what I like is that even though this the team the opponent was poor at run uh, run defense, they showed that they understood what they needed to scheme and how they needed to match it to the skills of their players. And that's something that I, had, I don't think I've seen in, in previous games. And so when a run game came up, they did what they needed to do to get the run game established. Both um, you know, Singletary and Cook had 84 yards on the ground. Josh Allen didn't have anywhere near that. It's the first game that you know the Buffalo rushing attack didn't require Josh Allen to get involved, and that was excellent. So I, there's a lot of positives there. The Detroit Lions actually give up more yards per game, um, not you know not on a DVOA metric, but just purely yards per game average. They give up 153 yards per game on the ground. The Browns only give up 135, and so they are one of the worst. I mean, across the board, they're one of the worst defenses in the entire NFL. They uh, average 415.9 yards per game um, given up, and that's just atrocious. They average 28.2 yards or points per game, which is also worse than the league. So they're having a real hard time stopping people, and I think it's going to carry forward with the Bills. And so, you know, just talking about the rushing game with the Bills, I think that look forward to seeing more of the Naeem Hines and James Cook um, stretch run plays and pin and pull plays to the outside because those, those I think, they could develop into something that's defense-proof. And what the Bills have always lacked is a play that they know can beat a defense that's unless it's specifically schemed to stop it. And what they need to get to is to have a you know a couple of plays in their running playbook that a team has to scheme to stop because once a team schemes to stop that run, you have a counterpunch of a throw that's going to completely roast them. And so you'll see the Bills come back to that run look, go and play action this time, the run blitz that the other team calls up because they're expecting that big gashing outside run that to Hines or Cook doesn't hit, and instead Josh Allen rolls out to the opposite direction, and boom, you have Gabe Davis, Stefan Diggs, Dawson Knox, somebody down the seam um, hitting a spot where a safety vacated. That's what I'm looking forward to, is they just need to est- establish some bread and butter plays. We haven't said bread and butter about the Bills, and that was your favorite phrase in the podcast it's for the past where, two years. It's where they butter their bread. That is a phase. That's that where is, they butter their bread. It, it's a it's a phrase that's gone unuttered this year, and you, and you bring it up, I think, at a good time. I was driving in my car today, dri- taking my kid to a daycare, and I was like, if we were to do a, like, I know all the stats and all the rankings, but if we were to do a pod, about what the Buffalo Bills do well, like really good, and what they don't do really good. I know what the stats will tell us, but what does the eye test tell us? Like, is the pass game real good right now? I think you and I both agree it's pretty limited. Is the run game really good right now? I think you and I both agree it's limited. And I think the absence of floor rising plays, which is crazy to think about with an offense that through the first six weeks of the season looked as good as it did. But I think those bread and butter plays, those moments where the Buffalo Bills just have a go-to and their bag of tricks that they can work in a variety of different ways, as you described, I do think is something that's been lacking. Like every game really since that Tennessee game has felt like the Bills just like trying to figure it out. You know, they're trying to do this opponent by opponent game plan type of thing, which really versatile offenses can do and is great. But in trying to be a chameleon 
for all 10 games thus far this season on offense, they haven't really developed an identity. They've accumulated some really, really good stats, and they've had some really good individual performances, but this is not a unit that I would say has a strong offensive identity yet. And I think some of what we saw Dorsey break out against Cleveland could be the foundation for the stretch run of what that offensive identi- identity looks like, especially if they're if they're not going to get McKenzie going. Dude, McKenzie had wh- how many tar- He had one target this game, one target yeah. out of the slot, which is cr- just absolutely mind blowing. Now Dawson Knox getting going is great, but if you're only asking yep. opposing teams to guard Gabe Davis, Stefan Diggs, and Dawson Knox, it's not going to open up a lot against that cover two shell. So. I think what we saw from Dorsey is the foundation of it. And you just have to hope that the Buffalo Bills have figured out how to build on that foundation and are playing their best football by the time we get to the playoffs this year. The margin for error is low, though, because like other than San Francisco, do we see Miami losing another game? Do we see Kansas City losing another game? So the the Buffalo Bills are going to have to low margin for error. It's not a win-out situation, but figuring out that offensive identity will go a long way to making them formidable down the stretch. I think to in order to secure a first overall uh, seed for the playoffs in the AFC, they absolutely need to win out. I don't think that's outside the realm of you know requirement. I think that uh, they have three losses and the Chiefs only have two. And that's what we're talking about is if the Chiefs finished one game ahead, um, doesn't matter that the Bills beat them in a tiebreaker. They, they get the first seed. So the, the Chiefs need to lose one. The Bills need to, to win win the rest, essentially, um, in order to, to secure that first overall you know seed and a bye. Um, I agree with you. I think that they developing an offensive identity, this is, this is a good time to do it because then you get to refine it and come up with counter punches as you go. And that, I think, was always part of it, right? I feel like it... It, it, I was thinking about this with the Browns game. It felt a little bit like, um, it felt a little bit like how you know a president will change offices and somebody will take over, and then there's like a, six months or eight months of good stuff that happens, and the president, sitting president in office, is taking credit for it all, but it's all stuff that was in in motion from their predecessor. That's how the first six weeks of the season felt for me with Dable, Dorsey, and Allen. It was almost like they were using up the rest of Dable's content um, before he walked out the door. And then, you know, it, the bye week came. Teams had figured out some things and ways to stuff the bills. And now they're, they were back to square one. And now we're seeing Dorsey develop his, you know, agenda for the, for the offense. And for so sure. it really is up to him to come up with a good plan and find ways to not only execute that plan week to week to week, but then adapt and adjust it as teams start to figure them out. And so I think that's where we're at. I think one of the things I saw that I really very much liked was that um, Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, a lot of players seemed frustrated and frazzled in the first half, but they didn't end up turning that into silly, stupid plays along the stretch. A few times Josh Allen made the smart play, even if it was being tackled on a third down and going to fourth and having to kick a field goal. But staying in bounds, hanging on to the ball, not trying to force anything, not in, throwing an interception in the red zone, um, letting Tyler Bass tie a you know team record for field goals in a single game. T. Bass saved the day so many in so many ways, um, and so you know great day for the Bills special teams, great day for not get not 
you know, having a turnover, which has been the biggest problem for the Bills. Um, they lost three close games this year, mostly because of turn- turnovers. They can't have those. And so um, being clean with the ball, taking what the defense gives you, propagating it down the field and, uh, and letting, you know, field goals aren't going to be the answer against teams like the Chiefs, the Dolphins, even the Ravens to some extent. Um, but I think field goals can be the answer against almost anyone else in the league if you are just smart with the ball and not turning it over. I agree. And in, in the era of fourth fourth down in your opponent's end of the field analytics, I was happy to see the Buffalo Bills not settle for those three points, but set, but take the cumulative, what was it, 15, 18, how many points was it? 15 points that Bass put up there? He had six, so uh, 18. Six down, 18 points. He had 18 points. I was really happy to see the Bills take those 18 points um, when they had the opportunity. It was a workmanlike 30-burger that they put on the Browns, and I was really happy to see that. Yeah, Yeah, man. Well, and and that's, you know, in terms of putting up a 30-burger, getting it was 19 points from Bass because he had an uh, an extra point on the the touchdown. Um, That's just, you know, that's that's excellent. and that's what you need to depend on is the things that are consistent, right? You cannot make it boom or bust only. That's what I think they've had to learn through these right. three, this three or four stretch game is you need to lean on consistency, be a little bit boring with it. I mean, the Patriots built a dynasty on boring. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they only had one season with Randy Moss. Yeah, Everything it's the re- else was just propagating it. Yeah, propagating yeah. it down the field, doing the thing they have to do. It's the reason why Zach Wilk. Yeah, that's the reason why Zach Wilson isn't playing good football right now, because he can't do the basic boring stuff really well. But yes, the boring stuff in the NFL matters. That's not all about the highlights week to week. Um, JJ, I think that that puts a nice tidy bow here on our Browns recap. Uh, We have a game day after tomorrow back in Detroit against the Detroit Lions, who are, I don't know, man, that team, I sent you an Instagram post of from nfl.com of dan campbell's post game speech uh from this week that team statistically should not be a match for the bills but emotionally and on on thanksgiving on their home field uh this game terrifies me for a lot of reasons the buffalo bills would be well do themselves well to go eight and three here heading into the final stretch but I, i think they've got a bigger hurdle than people are giving them credit for in the detroit lions the Detroit Lions, JJ, are not a great defensive unit, which I think we know. They're 25th in the league right now in overall defensive DVOA. Um, they are a top 10 offensive DVOA unit with the likes of Jared Goff under center at this point. I remember just the first few weeks of the season, like four or five weeks, like I'd see the Detroit Lions down to whoever they were playing 24 nothing, And then I'd look at the scrolling banner like 15 minutes later and they're up 34 to 27, right? This is a team that, that can pile on points, but then by the same token has been shut out and dominated by really good defenses. Um, the number one uh, defensive DVO, DVOA team in the league right now is New England. They shut out the Detroit Lions. Dallas is number three. They only allowed seven points. So the the Detroit Lions have struggled against good defenses. That being said, I don't think the Bills are rolling out a good defense on Sunday. And the over-under in Vegas has this game at 54.5, which tells me that they're thinking shootout on their end. JJ, what are some of the things that you're seeing as the Bills head back to Detroit to take on these frisky Lions? 
Yeah, I think frisky is a good way to describe them because they sort of, you know, they, they definitely don't have any huge, you know, um, scary players. Like, to kind of start on the Lions defense briefly, um, you know, they've got Ifiatu Melifonwu, who's looking to come back. Um, you know, they've got uh, DJ Chark, who's looking to come back a little bit. Some people that are getting back from from. Um, injury is good. DeAndre Swift has had a couple of injuries, but he looks to be back in full pra- practice. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that they're getting healthy. The I would say that the Lions are healthier than the Bills at this point. Um, and I, I, I'm worried a little bit about this this game because I think that you know Aiden Hutchinson looks like he's he looks like a first round pick. Um, and that he, you know, he has some splash plays and shows up. And so it's going to be interesting to see Dawkins versus him. I think that, you know, they have some solid beef in the middle, but nothing spectacular. So it's a team you can run on. Their outside corners are not great. And so I think there's opportunities there. Um, and so really, I think it's another one of those games offensively for the Bills that they need to establish a run, establish a lead, make the Lions one-dimensional and um, we say it over and over and over again, keep Josh Allen clean uh, and limit turnovers. On offense, those are the keys. And I think that what I would like to see is actually I'd like to see Khalil Shakur get more Isaiah McKenzie touches. I was so disappointed in Isaiah McKenzie on that end around on the goal line. I think it was for a two-point conversion or maybe a for the touchdown. In which it was he, for the two-pointer. It was for yeah. the two-pointer. He could have cut it up at any point, but he just kept trying to work to the edge and got like hog-walloped. Um, and did not make it in the end zone. He could have just dove and burrowed in for that that two point at a few different junctures and made it. Um, and it just brings into question more of his lack of usefulness and utility in this offense. And so they're not trusting him with you know that's a pretty big moment. They trusted him in it and he let them down yet again. Just like in the Miami game, you know, um, there's a couple of drops at key points for McKenzie. So. I'm really. I think that there's some opportunities here. I think that if they play strong, sound football don't turn the ball over that their offense is going to be plenty fine against this defense, but then kind of flipping. So the keys are really established run, um, get the middle of the field involved with Austin Knox. And, and I'd like to see Shakir in the slot. Um, and then of course feed Davis or Davis and Diggs, um, but not to the same, you know, hyper-focused levels as in the past when, when they've resulted in turnovers. Um, flipping over on the defense, I think that a lot is going to be dependent on whether or not, Tredavious White or Kyrie Lum is on the field because the um, you know the Lions aren't terrible in the passing attack. Uh, Khalif Raymond, DJ Chark, and uh, Amon Ross St. Brown. Amon Ross St. Brown from the slot has he's been good. just like killing. He's been killing. He's the he's seventh really highest rated good. wide receiver on PFF. He's been killing it for me. On uh, he's on my fantasy team, and it's just like he's consistent, and he's you know lost a few games to injury or a few halves to injury. He tends to uh, to make stuff happen with the ball in his hands, though, and so their offensive rushing attack with Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift is very good. Jared Goff is a good distributor of the football. I think he's twenty first or twenty third in the league in terms of pushing the ball twenty yards, twenty plus yards downfield. So he's not a distance passer. He's a distributor, and that's what he's been his whole career. Um, he's really good when he is clean uh, at distributing in the short area. He's you know up near 100 QBR. Um, he's really bad when he's under pressure. 
uh, like most quarterbacks, but I think you'd see it more particularly with Jared Goff than some in that when he is under any kind of pressure after two and a half seconds, he makes poor choices and takes sacks. And so there's some opportunities there for the Bills defense. But again, I think it all kind of comes down to who of um, Elam, Tredavious White, Matt Milano, Tremaine Edmonds, Greg Rousseau, you know, there's those starters. It looks like they came out of the game healthy for the most part. I think they lost A.J. Epineza maybe for a week or two with an ankle. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think Rousseau is going to be back at this time. And I don't think that it, it doesn't look like you're going to see uh, Tremaine Edmonds back either. He's he's out with the groin and heel. AJ Epineza just went out with an ankle. Um, neither of them practiced on Monday. Uh, Greg Rousseau did not practice. He had a high ankle sprain, which is usually three or four weeks. So, um, but Jordan Poirier is back full. Uh, Cam Lewis is full. Demar Hamlin is full, um, and Kyrie Elam was full. So I think that hopefully those those players play. I would love to see Tredavious White come out, even if it's just for a few, um, you know, sections of, of the game. But it's really going to be uh, dependent on whether or not they trust him on that turf, um, yeah. Because it's one of the worst one of the worst fields in the league for that sort of thing. But yeah, and they yeah, held him, they held him out of the Cleveland get, game for that reason. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So it might be, you know, and I guess I'm okay with it. I'm frustrated. I, I'm impatient about him playing because he's just one of those players that just definitely makes a difference, even in a you know somewhat reduced capacity. Doesn't this um, doesn't this yeah. doesn't this feel like it was always the plan for him though? Now that yeah. we're at this point, now that we see how the schedule has stacked up, it, it's almost like they were like, guys, let's get to the division home stretch, seven and yeah. four, eight yep. and three, and let's bring all our guys back and run the table, right? I, it feels yeah. like that was how they were going to play this all along with how beat up they were. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that that, um, that <laughs> that's probably it, exactly what it it's is. It's very uh, Buffalo Bills coaching staff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's very trust the process of them. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, and that's fine. I think that, you know, even if he's not in, I think it'll be a big difference if Elam's in. It's so weird to not know how much, you know, it's, it's you don't know how much you appreciated Kyrie Elam until he's gone, right? Like, he um, he was out of position a few times, but he never got roasted. He was always feisty, and he always fight, you know, fighting for those 50-50 balls. What we've seen since he's been out is Dane Jackson and Christian Benford in great position following their assignments and doing their 111th and just not turning around to look at the ball. Um, the one play, I think it was DeMar Ham- Hamlin made on the ball, I thought was absolutely perfect execution. Got flagged for it, which I thought was a crap call, um, because he didn't turn or change the, the wide receiver's body, but he just jumped up and, and was immediately focused in on the ball, hit it with his hand, batted it out of the way. That was, that was a great pass defense. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that you see different results if Kyrie Elam is in some of those positions where they gave up catches and 50-50 balls, even though they were close in coverage, um, just because they didn't know how to fight for it. Kyrie Elam on that uh, game-changing fourth and 18 against the Vikings, where Justin Jefferson went up and uh, and I think it was was it Cam Lewis or Dan Jackson, somebody didn't Cam, bat the ball Cam, down. Cam, Cam Lewis. Lewis. Yeah. I'll remember that forever. I think. Yeah, I think Kyrie Elam not just from his size, but his his tenacity. I don't know that Justin Jefferson, as amazing as he is, makes that 
that play if it's camp if it's a uh, Kyrie Elam in position. So well, Dallas just from shut the him defense, down with yeah. lesser personnel. So yeah, in the secondary, yeah. digs aside, I'm talking about yeah. in the secondary, not that pass rush in Dallas. That's freaking terrifying. That unit. Yeah. So yeah, I think that there's you know um, in terms of the Detroit Lions, I I worry more about their offense than their defense, of course, um, because they can be explosive. But I really, I mean, if the Patriots can shut this team flat, I think the Bills can do a fine job of it too. Uh, and I'm not calling for a shutout. I'm just saying that I think that the Bills have a better defense than most give them credit for. They've just been so hampered by injuries for so long. They they have. If Elam plays this game and if Edmonds plays this game and Poyer, Poyer is himself in this game, I do think that makes a massive difference. I think it makes a massive difference in how I would feel about the final score of this game. If if at this point we knew that all those guys were going to play, I would actually be willing to take the under and and think that the Buffalo Bills have a, a good chance to put up some um, some really stout defensive stands in this game. Um, I mean, Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson, we forget. They, they kind of dominated that Dallas Cowboys game in Thanksgiving where the yeah. Buffalo Bills really announced themselves back in the day as a, a team that was on the rise. And you've got veteran leaders on that defensive line in the absence of Russo and in the absence of Epineza that have played in a game of this style and this hype before. If you can get some of those pieces back in the secondary, I feel more comfortable saying the Buffalo Bills will have a good defensive game. Right now... I, I mean, I'm probably going to take the over. I'm probably going to go shoot out, and I'm hoping I'm wrong. But, yep. but yeah, no, it, it does. It, it man, if only this game were being played two weeks from now when we had our guys. You know, I, we just right. we just got to right. get our guys back. That's all, all it comes down to. Um, JJ, what do you think? What do you think is going to be a key matchup to watch here? I think the easy one is whoever is guarding. Uh, Amon, Amon Ra St. Brown, uh, Brown, right? Yes. And because he lines up in the slot so frequent, frequently, one would think potentially Taron Johnson gets some of the, gets a majority of those snaps. You and I have both talked on a previous couple pods about what we've seen as maybe a regression in Johnson's game. What do you think needs to happen if that indeed is going to be the matchup for Johnson to be successful against uh, a guy like Brown, St. Brown? Well, I think that um, I think they they should probably key a little bit with Poyer Poyer or Hamlin um, down there uh, because I think that you're going to see either Poyer or Hamlin at least start the snap a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage than maybe they have in, in games past in two in two reasons. One being that they don't want to get burnt and roasted on the edge um, by DeAndre Swift. And two being that we know that Jared Goff is not an elite, precise, de- like deep field passer. And so I think they're probably going to have one of them kind of shade towards that matchup. Um, because they do like to, to line up Khalif Raymond and Amon Ross St. Brown on the same side of the field. So it makes sense to give a little bit of help to probably Dane Jackson and Taron Johnson on that side. And you could probably leave Kair Elam one-on-one with whomever else is on the field. Um, and so that you can keep one high safety. And so that's, that is absolutely a key matchup. I think that's a big piece of it. I think another big piece of it is how Matt Milano and T- Terrell Dodson uh, do on the, uh, ar- around the edges for that rushing attack because that's going to make a big difference. 
Um, also, you know, another matchup for the Bills defense on the Detroit Lions offense is Panay Sewell, who is their, you know, right tackle. I wish Greg Rousseau was playing in this game because he ate his lunch during preseason last year when they were both rookies. Yep. Um, but we'll 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 see what what happens. He's having a much much better year this year than he was last. He, he definitely needed some seasoning. He's a high pick, sure. top fifteen, I think. Um, and so he's solid, and they have a decent line. I mean, from, it's from good. tackle to tackle, they're yeah, they're they're pretty solid. Um, Jonah Jackson, a twenty twenty draft pick, left guard. Evan Brown, a 2018 pick, right guard. Um, they're probably their least successful lineman, but they're still above average. Uh, Frank Ragnow at center is excellent. Uh, and then they have Taylor Decker, who is a 16, 2016 selection, and he's you know, a solid left tackle, not spectacular. Panay Suel, who I mentioned, is their right tackle. He's their best offensive lineman at this point and is only in his second or third, second or third year at this point. So... Yeah, they've got some good players, and uh, we'll see how it turns out. But that's what I think that the the key matchups are going to be for the Bills' defense. Yeah, this feels like another game where the pass rush is not not necessarily going to get home. I mean, they they haven't had they haven't had great sack stats the past few games, um, and this was even before Russo going out. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. I can't. Their pa- their pass 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 rush win rate is now in the bottom third of all 32 teams this year, according to ESPN stats and analytics. You mentioned that this is a better than advertised offensive line for the Detroit lions. I, again, in my car this morning, thinking about what the bills do good and don't do good. I understand they've had, they had a lot of success in the first half of the season in the pass rush but I think we're starting to see teams key in a little bit on the types of things that they want to do. And it has not been as successful getting home to the QB. Um, it, it has looked to me kind of like shades of last season where we did a really great job like creating pressure that ultimately didn't lead to anything because QBs were still throwing their way out of it. And a guy like Jacoby Brissett really... To me, and I don't know if Jared Goff is this, is this guy, but Jacoby Brissett, he's really he's got good pocket awareness. Like he knows how to move a couple of feet this way, a couple of feet that way to keep the play alive and avoid the pressure and avoid the sack. And veteran QBs continue to be difficult for these Buffalo Bills to to bring down. Save for Matt Matt Stafford, right? Who they brought down seven times all the way back. Feels like eons ago in Week One. Um, I. I don't know. I, I'll be in, I'll be interested to watch the pass rush against a good unit mm-hmm. like Detroit because that's an area on the defense that even if we're all healthy, I got to see some life from again, man. I got to see some life from again. Yep. It's looking a lot more like yep. last year where they're just waving their hands in guys' faces and it's not going to get it done against Mahomes. Well, and I think that what you're going to see is, um, you know, Ed Oliver. I think I agree with you. Brissett's a different a different kind of kind of QB because he's so good at just those slight maneuvers inside the pocket. Oliver um, should have had saw, three sacks that game. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. We both saw Ed Oliver. I saw Von Miller. Like they were within inches of like strip yep. sack fumble on Bissett like six or seven times that game, but he just slightly like maneuvered around. Um, and so I don't think that, um, or I know for a fact that, you know, on offense, Jared Goff doesn't have that ability. Right. He tends to eat sacks a little bit. He's the counterpoint to Josh Allen. Like, you couldn't have a, a more 
contrasted tale of two stories on offense for the Bills and the Lions when it comes to the offensive line and their relationship to the quarterback getting sacked. The Buffalo Bills offensive line doesn't give up sacks because Josh Allen doesn't allow himself to be sacked as often, right? Like he, he probably is middle of the pack in terms of the, the, the um, whole NFL in terms of getting sacked. Um, the counterpoint is the Lions give up sacks because Jared Goff walks himself into sacks. He's got not great pocket awareness, and he tends to go down when he very well could have just moved in a different direction and stayed up and kept the play alive. And so they have an excellent offensive line who gives up sacks because their quarterback's not not good at maneuvering, whereas the Bills have a below-average offensive line that doesn't give up sacks because their quarterback is extremely hard to bring down. And so um, I think it's going to be interesting to watch this pass rush, and I really hope... Uh, I hope that actually Shaq Lawson gets the start over Boogie Basham. Me too. Von Miller, if Rousseau and, Ep- and Epineza are both down, because he's flashed quite a bit. He's he's been really, I think, most importantly, he's been super reliable in terms of being in the right position, right place, right time, doing his assignment, staying gap sound, and that was always a strength of his when he was with the Bills before as well. As he tended to be very good at knowing where he was supposed to be in his landmarks and not going too deep on his rush and uh, and and making plays. Um, he single-handedly held Jacoby Brissett up on that fourth and one QB sneak attempt. He re- kind of sh- shot the edge, sc- scraped along the back of the offensive line, grabbed him, and held him up for for help to come. That was excellent. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if if he has a good game and gets a start, if Von Miller gets a couple of sacks, and if Matt Milano plays even eighty percent the efficiency he had in the Browns game, I think it's a it's a different story. Um, and for all those, you know, all those Bills fans out there who have been Tremaine Edmonds haters and wanting to trade him or cut him or whatever, um, just go back and watch the Browns film because I, I can point out to you four or five completions across the middle of the field that would never have been made if Tremaine Edmonds were there, but were made because Terrell Dodson was there. And he didn't have the wingspan, he didn't have the awareness, he didn't have the speed, he wasn't at the right landmark, um, so he was giving up completions that are completely erased from the field if, if Edmonds is on, is on the field at that time. Yeah, I, I, God, man, it just makes me think: How are the Bills going to pay all these guys at the end of the year? I, don't know. <laughs> I just have no idea. Um, speaking of getting so, paid, you, do you want to talk yeah. some prop bots <laughs> that won't pay yeah. for yeah, sure? Won't pay. Was, Please don't listen to us. <laughs> I was going to make that make that suggestion. Let's uh, let's do a duo. Let's recap our Bills Browns and then uh, oh, and then God. jump into the Lions Bills. So um, prediction sure to go wrong from last week. Uh, I said the Bills would win 31-17. Oh, not bad. You got close. By the Browns. And, yeah, and so the over one for, you know, a rare rare case this week. A neutral Um, site game between Cleveland and Buffalo hits the over. Uh, You had guessed Bills 21, uh, Browns 17. We both didn't give the Browns enough credit. Um, but uh, but that last touchdown was with 19 seconds left. It was literally garbage time. Garbage time. Uh, touchdown, yeah. So um, our props, I had Von Miller two sacks or more. Uh, you were under, so you were right on that. He had no sacks. Uh, Von Miller um, actually got in like a disagreement with a group chat of, of Bills fans, uh, friends of mine, because they're all like, no, he had a sack. I'm like, no, he didn't. He chased down Jacoby Brissett on a two-yard gain that could have been worse, for sure. It was an excellent defensive play. Not a sack, but it wasn't a sack. Any sacks, yeah. Um, I had Stephon Diggs going over 100 yards receiving, and of course he's done that like 
six or seven out of the ten games a season, and he did not this time. In fact, he was frustrated all first half, didn't get his first touch till the touchdown in the second quarter. Um, and you had Isaiah McKenzie, 75.5 total yards over. Dawson Knox uh, got those yards, right? I was yes. right that there was going to be a third option. It just yeah, wasn't you were right McKenzie. right option. You just picked the wrong option. So, you um, know what? Yeah, we did not do very well. Let's let's try something completely different, all right? Because okay. whatever we say, the opposite happens. So here are my yes. prop bets. Josh Allen, yes. over under half a passing touchdown. I'm taking the under. <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> let's do it this way. I like it. Stefan Stefan Diggs. Dirty. Yeah, yeah. Stefan Diggs, over under ten yards receiving. I'm going to take the under. <laughs> let's just do it this way. <laughs> I like it. No, this is good. I'm putting this all down on paper so that, you know, do the opposite. Awesome. All right. What, what, what's God, another one? I hope you one? don't hit on all of these, though. <laughs> Ed, Ed, <laughs> yeah, like me saying Ed Oliver, zero sacks. Yeah, Ed, Ed Oliver, uh, over under 0.5 sacks. I'm going to take the under. Yep. All right. We're just going to take the under on everything and see if this works. What's that? Uh, Gabe, right. Gabe Davis, over under one and a half drops. I'm going to take the over. And hope that he doesn't have any. <laughs> All right, let's see yes. if the if this prediction karma can work the other way for once. <laughs> Put it in the universe. Yeah. Yes, and hope and hope good things come out as a result of it. So those are my prop bets this week. <laughs> what about okay. you, JJ? <laughs> um, I'm gonna say uh, Kyrielum under 0.5 uh, interceptions. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. And I'm going to say. Um, James Cook, uh, under 0.5 rushing TDs. Nice. Yes, very good. That's excellent. Yep. Way to way to, way to get with the, the good slash bad karma on this one. Much appreciated. Yes. Um, all right. What about final score? Did we do that one yet? We haven't done that yet. So you can you can lead us off. All right. I again. It, this is a Tuesday. Uh, until we know officially who's playing, even though we have a good idea, the Bills are still not going to have their top defensive unit out there. This is a Detroit Lions defense that does pose some issues for a beat-up secondary and a less than 100% defensive line. It is, an, it is, despite what some of the statistics will tell you, this is a better-than-advertised Detroit offensive line. I think they do put up some points in this game. I'm going to go Bills 35 because I think they're going to have to score in this game. And Lions 28. Okay. 35-28 and that's the that hits the over. It does the overs what 54 and a half on this and then the Bills yeah were 9 and a half point favorites I think this morning when I woke up. Yes. That line might have shifted to 10, I don't know. Yep. So I'm going to I'm going to say that the under hits um and I'm going Bills 28 Lions 24. I think it's going to be a nail nail biter at the end and I'm afraid of it. Yeah, the the Bills really got to figure out a way to piece together these close games at some point. It'll be an interesting test for them, right, if it is a close game. They got to figure out a way to piece that together. Um, cool, man. All right. I, 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 uh, I hope you have a great Thanksgiving. To all of those of you listening at home, I hope you all have a, a great Thanksgiving and a great holiday, enjoying some football, food, and family, the three Fs. Um, like, share, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts, Google, Apple, and Spotify. And JJ, as always, go Bills. Go Bills.